Hello, and welcome to the Building Through Him podcast. I'm Mary Jo Parrish, founder of Kingdom Builders, and today's episode is the May teaching, Hope and the Hunger. And just so you know, you are always loved and always welcome here. So we always like to start off with some funny stories. I recently got glasses because I was getting these terrible headaches, and no one really warned me properly about the getting of glasses. Because once you get glasses, it's like your eyes betray you. And the stuff that you could read before without glasses, you had to squint and pull it back a little bit. You can no longer read. So like the ingredients on the back of the package or whatever. If you forget your glasses, you now have to like take pictures with your phone and like scroll them really big until you can read them. It's like your your eyes take this whole role of the retirement community. It's like they get all like gangster retirement, like, oh no, friend, we're all done with that. We have gone into the retirement community. We are no longer reading size six font on the back of packages. If you forget your glasses, you're going to have to go back to your phone and take a picture like a fool. We're relaxing by the pool and we are playing bingo. We are no longer your best friend. Okay. And it's like, okay. And because I lose things all the time, it's like, okay, I'm definitely more comfortable taking pictures with my phone and scrolling bigger. But I'm just like slowly getting used to my glasses. And occasionally if I walk past a mirror, if I have them on, I'll be like, who's that librarian? And then realize, you know, it's myself. But I'm like slowly like getting comfortable with them. And then I'm reading the book Brown Bear, Brown Bear to my littles. And at one point in time, Joseph stops when we get to the teacher, teacher, what do you see? And it's this image of this lady with her hair up in a bun with these like pointy glasses, like from the 50s. And uh, he's like, mom, look, you look just like the teacher in Brown Bell. And I was like, oh, thanks, Joseph. Thanks a lot. Let's pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon his handmaid's lowliness. Behold, from now on, all ages will call me blessed. The mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is from age to age to those who fear him. He has shown might with his arm, dispersed the arrogant of mind and heart. He has thrown down the rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the lowly. The hungry he has filled with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped Israel, his servant, remembering his mercy, according to his promise to our fathers, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Amen. So in Kingdom Builders, we always talk about our foundation. We do three things. We pray for a minimum of 10 minutes a day, no matter what's happening in our life. We go to church on Sundays. That's a divine commandment. And then we're staying in a state of grace. Anything that is keeping us from the fullness of God's grace we want to make sure that we're removing that barrier. So we're honoring the sacrament of reconciliation. We're getting to a self-help group, whatever we need to do to be free of those heavy sins so that we can receive all God wants to give us. And then we continue to build ourselves, others, and the church. But we never go a single day without making sure we have our foundation. So the May teaching is hope in the hunger. We know that we are born with a hunger for God. Nothing else truly satisfies us. St. Augustine says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. So this is kind of like an interesting story. I was reading about this movement that happened in China that really weighed on me. 
these workers are expected to compete with one another. They're expected to perform, to work from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week in order to maintain their job. They are exhausted, and that exhaustion has led to a movement happening among the young workforce. It's known as the Tang Ping Movement. It's lying flat movement. And it calls for the citizens to turn their backs on the current lifestyle that's promoted. And it calls them to stop striving for those supposed milestones that were important to the older generation, to stop trying to seek out those high-paying jobs that require them to work those 12-hour days. And instead, it asks them to just lay flat. They work just enough to buy food and basic housing, and they embrace rest. They lay flat. They're opting out. The Chinese government remains radically opposed to that lying flat movement. And then a law went into effect in February of 2020, and it demands that all religious communities promote the principles of the Chinese Communist Party. There's a priest that lives there, and they obviously they didn't quote his name. He would be killed. But he's quoted as saying, in practice, your religion no longer matters. If you're Buddhist or Taoist or Muslim or Christian, the only religion allowed is faith in the Chinese Communist Party. These people there are controlled. These people are exhausted. They don't have the freedom to worship. They do not know the one for whom their souls long. Our brothers and sisters in China are so hopeless. They are laying down in disobedience. And I was just praying about that. I was contemplating the level of hopelessness and praying for their religious freedom. They are hungering for God, the bread of life. Nothing else truly satisfies. They have lost their hope. This quote is from a book, The Power of Hope by Dutch Sheets. Hope does in our hearts what seeds do in the earth. Without hope, life is sterile and unfruitful. Dreams won't be conceived. Destinies won't be realized. Hope is essential because it is the seed, the starting line, the genesis, and the launch pad. It is, in fact, the incubator where faith is birthed. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, God tells us. If there is no hope for the future, there will be no faith to face it, let alone build it. If there is no hope for the future, there will be no faith to face it, let alone build it. And that's just true. It's so true. And contemplating this, I started to contemplate the opposite of that. To have so much hope that one would lay down their life. And it reminded me of my oldest son, his ordination to the priesthood. He also laid down, right? He laid down, but he didn't lie on his back. He laid prostrate on his stomach before the altar. Lacking the true fulfillment with hope for the future means that our brothers and sisters in China are going against the culture. In effect, they are giving up. But I also recognize that my son Logan was choosing to go against the culture as well and also giving up in a way. And you might be like, what are you talking about? Well, let me just tell you. 
So I'm embarrassed to admit this, but when Logan discerned seminary, when he finally entered, there was a part of me that mourned it because of the things that he was choosing to give up. Logan was a gifted student, speaker, athlete, leader. I mourned the career path that he would have taken, the successes that he would have experienced. Logan had two wonderful, amazing girlfriends in high school and then in college. They both led him to holiness. Our family loved and still loves them. I mourned the wife that he was giving up and the love and the intimacy that they would have shared. But most of all, I mourned the children that Logan would never be able to hold, my future grandchildren. But specifically, I mourned the fact that no little ones would carry on his big brown eyes and thick, long lashes. When Logan laid prostrate on that marble floor in the cathedral in front of the altar, he chose to give up all those good and beautiful things because his hope in Jesus was so great. His hope and greatest desire did not include a typical career, a wife or children. His hope was to bring Jesus, our Eucharistic Lord, to God's people. The Catechism tells us the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life, the source and summit, the highest peak, right? So how is that even possible? How can a regular boy that had to be reminded to do his homework and keep his curfew grow up to be a man that's entrusted with such a great honor as to bring us the Eucharist? That happens through apostolic succession. And you're probably like, apostolic, what? So let's walk through that. What does that mean to have apostolic succession? So after the ascension of Jesus, Peter invokes a replacement for Judas. This is from Acts. They prayed, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry from which Judas turned away to go to his own place. Then they gave lots to them, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was counted with the eleven. Matthias was chosen and began the implemented apostolic succession. This apostolic authority was given by Jesus to the apostles and is passed down to the successors of the apostles in an unbroken lineage for over 2,000 years. So that's actually a pretty big mystery. Okay, I'm not gonna lie. That's one I've actually wrestled with. And, you know, the Lord loves to surprise us. He showed me a different image that allowed me to kind of understand it in a new way. So I pray the rosary, like I'm a rosary girl. I love to just lay in the arms of Our Lady and allow her to love me and love her in return. And when I pray the rosary, I visualize, I visualize being there with them. We have four visualization rosaries on this podcast. I encourage you to meditate with those. But the most powerful rosary that I pray with is the Sorrowful Mysteries. And when I'm there with Jesus in his agony in the garden, when he's alone and none of his friends can stay awake, 
I just kneel across from him and hold his body next to mine, and his cheek touches my own. And then when he's being scourged, I take the same position. I kneel across from him. His right cheek touches my right cheek. His body blocks all that scourging from impacting my own body. He takes all the pain so I don't have to. And I just hold him close, and I whisper words of encouragement and love and gratitude. And his cheek is against mine, and his body will vibrate with the impact of each whip. And I can't take his pain away. I just comfort him there. I leave my space in this world to plug into the divine and to spend time with Jesus at his darkest moment when almost all his closest friends have abandoned him. So I'm in these two mysteries of the sorrowful rosary, and I feel the whiskers of Jesus against my cheek, and I began to have this overwhelming feeling that I've actually experienced this in real life. And I'm like, okay, Mary Jo, you did not. So I like rebuke these thoughts. Oh, stop. You're being silly. But it keeps coming like over and over. You've actually experienced this in real life. Like so strong deja vu. Like I have for sure experienced in this. So I'm like, I get sassy with the Lord. I'm like, okay, if that's you, Lord, tell me when have I experienced your whiskers against my cheek in real life? And I had this image in my mind So Father Logan receives one day off a week, like most priests. And on that day, we have this beautiful opportunity to celebrate Mass in our home. And it's usually a private Mass. And at the sign of peace, Father Logan will embrace me. And the side of his bearded cheek touches the side of my own. The image that Jesus showed me was my beautiful brown-eyed son's cheek touching my own. Jesus was showing me that in the Mass, Father Logan's cheek is his cheek. It never has, in persona Christi, in the person of Christ, hit me so strongly. I immediately started weeping because you guys know I like to cry. I don't really like to cry, but I cry all the time. Our priests lay down their life, just like Jesus, to bring us Jesus. Because it is Jesus who is the hope in our hunger. St. Mother Teresa says, When you look at the crucifix, you understand how much Jesus loved you then. When you look at the sacred host, you understand how much Jesus loves you now. And although the Eucharist appears to be simply bread, it is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And that's difficult to understand because it's a mystery of our faith. And this isn't new. Like, it wasn't easy to understand back then. No, even when Jesus announced it 2,000 years ago that they would need to eat his flesh and drink his blood, people also had a hard time understanding it then. He lost many of his followers. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Although we cannot fully understand, to comprehend the mystery of Jesus asking us to eat his flesh and drink his blood, we can still seek to grow in knowledge because God unveils different hidden clues of the mystery through the language that we use to describe the Eucharist. So we're going to look at some of those clues. So clue number one, Thanksgiving. The word Eucharist means Thanksgiving. What does that clue tell us? 
Well, the greatest proof of God's love to ever be given to the world is his son, Jesus, right? We all know the Bible quote, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have eternal life, right? We have Jesus in the Eucharist and we give thanksgiving for that, the greatest gift to ever be given. Clue number two, the Eucharist is called the Holy Sacrifice. What does that tell us? Well, we know that back in Genesis, Adam was created perfect, but he and Eve disobeyed God. And then that slavery of sin and death entered the world. We call that original sin. Adam passed that defect onto his children, but God didn't leave us handicapped. He didn't, right? He felt compassion for his people, and he gave us the necessary means for our salvation, his son. Jesus sacrifices his own life to repair for the sins of the world. That's why we call it the holy sacrifice. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, you ready for your next clue? Clue number three. Bread of life, okay? So why is the Eucharist called the bread of life? How does that clue help us to understand? Well, here's more clues about bread. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? Which translated means house of bread. Jesus was placed in a manger of all the places you could put your brand new baby, right? He was placed in a feeding trough, okay? What does Jesus say about being the living bread? In John 6, 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. So the fact that Jesus comes to us in food now, the sacred host, is something God has actually been preparing us for all along. And we consume that food. We consume the sacred host at the holy sacrifice of the Mass. So during a Catholic Mass, when people process up, the Eucharist is held up individually before each person, and the priest or extraordinary minister holds up that host and declares, the body of Christ. And we respond, amen, which means it is true. So we are consenting that that is the body of Christ before it ever enters our body, we are saying, absolutely, that is the body of Christ. And if you're a Catholic listening, I invite you to go back to your second grade year, or maybe you entered the church as an adult, go back to when you received your first communion. When I was little, it may come as no surprise, but even back then I was super passionate and stubborn. Definitely This definitely was the case on the day of my first communion. I was a complete tomboy. I hated all dresses. And the idea that I had to wear a white, frilly dress really, really bothered me. But what put me over the edge were the long white knee socks that I thought would kill me. The way they they touched my skin and they looked so girly, I hated them. So we get to the church and my parents drove a rabbit. I hid in this like hatchback section, like perfectly fit for an an eight-year-old stubborn bratty girl. I hid back there 
and I would not leave. I mean, like, it didn't matter. My mom could have promised me the world. I would not get out of that hatch. So she has to go in and get my second grade teacher, Mrs. Stoppenhagen, who has to come out and like beg and plead for me to finally get out while it was the teacher. So I, I decided I would get out and I walk in the church right in time for us to walk in as a class. And guess what? All the little girls, even the other tomboys, were wearing pretty frilly white dresses. And most of them had on those long white socks, which made me feel a little bit better. But we had all prepared for that together. These are my people. This is my community. And I walked down that aisle and that white dress and those annoying white socks. And I received my first Holy Communion with my community because we are created for communion and community. And that leads us to clue number four, Holy Communion. How does that help us to understand the Eucharist? Why do we call the Eucharist Holy Communion? Because when we receive and consume the body of Christ at Mass, as the Eucharist dissolves within us, we are in holy communion with God and with one another. Jesus is our communion, and Jesus is our hope. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know well the plans I have in mind for you, plans for your welfare and not for woe, so as to give you a future of hope. The word that is used for hope in Jeremiah is a word called tikva. It means cord or rope. Joshua uses that same word, tikva, but he uses it in a different way. So in Joshua, there's this woman named Rahab. She hid Israelite spies when they came to check out the town of Jericho. That was a great risk. Why would she take such a risk? Her hope was in the Lord. She wasn't even Israelite, but her hope was in the Lord. This is what she says to the Israelite spies. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that dread of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven, above and on the earth below. Now then, since I have dealt kindly with you, swear to me by the Lord that you in turn will deal kindly with my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and mother and brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And because she helps them, they agree to save her and her family from the destruction that's coming to Jericho. And they do this by giving her a red cord. And she is told to hang this red cord from her window. And this is the coolest part. Tie this scarlet cord. But guess what the word cord is? Tikva, meaning hope. Tie this hope in your window through which you are letting us down. She accepts their offer and that entire city and all its inhabitants, except for her and her family, were destroyed. Rahab was being asked to place her hope in these men and the God that she knew was with them. And their promise to her was expressed in this blood red cord, or what we call the hope. And this is the coolest thing. Rahab ends up later marrying an Israelite 
and becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David. Rahab becomes part of Christ's lineage. That scarlet cord or hope prefigures the redeeming blood of Christ. And that is where we place our hope. We are healed, protected, and freed by the blood of Jesus. And God invites all of us to be that cord, that rope of hope, and to share that hope with the world. And it's easy to say that, oh, share that hope with the world. What does that even look like? Okay, we like life application. So I'm going to tell you what it looks like. At every Kingdom Builder gathering, we have a teaching. This is the content that I give on the podcast. But most importantly, we have Eucharistic adoration because Jesus is our hope and Jesus is there at every Kingdom Builder gathering and at every Kingdom Builder conference. And so how are you going to share the hope with the world? If you're a woman with Kingdom Builder gatherings in your area, attend and invite other women to attend with you. If you're a man with Kingdom Builder gatherings in your area, encourage the women in your life to attend. Tell them, I'll take Joey to soccer practice. Go be fed. Go receive the peace and joy for which you were created. Encourage your women. Take on dinner that night. Take on whatever it needs to happen so that your women can go and receive so that they have something to give. Invite all the women to attend the Kingdom Builder Conference. That is on October 7th at the Memorial Coliseum in Fort Wayne. And if you're like, okay, I'm not going to remember that date. That's okay. If you go to our website, buildingthroughhim.com, and you click on events, what will pop down is gathering dates and locations and our conference. So that's buildingthroughhim.com, and you click on events. The date and time of our next gathering, depending on where you're at, depending on your location, will be there. And if you're like, oh, maybe I need one more little hook to get me there in June. In June, we are going to be discussing the treasures of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, which are amazing. And our conference theme is Magnify. This is how we as women are called to walk in the beauty, worth, and authority as beloved daughters and how we can magnify His love to the world. It's going to be amazing. But maybe that feels too scary to invite a woman or encourage someone to attend a gathering or conference. I want to remind you of something. We all know that the very last words that someone says on earth are significant, right? The very last words that Jesus says on earth before he sends to heaven are earth-shattering. These are his words. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of age. So let's break that down. I believe Jesus is saying three things. He wants to bring his hope to the world, right? Number one, Jesus has all the power on heaven and on earth, right? We go forth knowing the truth with complete hope and trust because Jesus has all the power, number one. Number two, we are called to evangelize. We can't know this hope and not share it. Someone's final destination could be dependent upon our obedience to his call, right? We are called to evangelize. We're called to bring them in, to baptize and teach them what Jesus taught us. 
And the third thing, Jesus says, I am here. I'm with you always. He means the Eucharist. Don't stress about, oh, are they going to like it? Are they not? Or bring them to Jesus. Don't overthink it. Bring people to Jesus in the Eucharist and allow him to do his thing. We don't have to be saviors. There's only one, and we are not him. Amen? Amen. We just bring them to Jesus and allow him to love them. He always is there, and his love always comes through. Kingdom builders, the whole whole apostolate that we have is based on those instructions. We claim that Jesus has all the power. Our hope is in him alone. Even when our technology breaks down, even when our presenters are nervous, we just remember that we're the warm-up act for the King of Kings, and he always comes and he always rocks the house, right? Every single time. Number two, we evangelize. We bring people to him to be taught about the faith. We welcome those into the church desiring baptism. Our goal is to unveil the beauty of our faith in a new way in every single teaching, every month that's based on the Sunday Mass scriptures. I have the gift of being able to work with a team of women to create these teachings so that we can bring forth whatever the Holy Spirit desires from these Sunday readings. And number three, we claim the truth that Jesus is here in the Eucharist. When he says, I am with you always, we claim that truth. That's why we always end in Eucharistic adoration. At every Kingdom Builder gathering, at every conference, we give our sisters time to rest in his gaze and to worship the one for whom their souls were created. We allow them the opportunity to be there, to be there with him and to rest with him so that they can experience the fullness of his love. And you know how many apostles there were, right? There were 12, right? Judas fell off and Matthias came on. We talked about apostolic succession. Guess how many host parishes we have in Kingdom Builders? We just launched St. Johessen Castle in Fort Wayne, and we are about to launch St. Mary's of the Assumption and a villa on June 20th. We are working at parishes with Ohio. We have so many on-fire Ohio builders. We cannot wait to get there. But we're also working with the Diocese of Evansville and Allentown, Pennsylvania, to prepare for diocesan launches. We are slowly growing, one builder sister at a time. We are building for our Lord an army of adorers. The more women that we have in adoration, the stronger His Holy Spirit pours out upon all His people, not just the women, the men, the families, everybody. The more women we have in adoration, the stronger His Holy Spirit pours out. Look what happened through 12 men filled with the Holy Spirit that went across the world, right? Imagine what the Holy Spirit can do with 12 host parishes of builders full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is placing His hope in us, and we place our hope in Him. Because our hope cannot be in finally getting married or finally getting pregnant or finally finishing a degree. Our hope is not in a promotion. It's not in our pay raise. Our hope is not even in our future grandchildren that may have big brown eyes and thick long lashes. All those things are good. But our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ And he's asking us to have the courage to throw out his rope of hope. 
Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know well the plans I have in mind for you, plans for your welfare and not for woe, so as to give you a future of hope. He desires to speak that over every one of his children, every single one. And Rahab, remember we talked about Rahab, who ends up becoming a mother of salvation history. She was not an Israelite. She was not even part of the chosen people. She wasn't even respected by her own people because Rahab was a prostitute. She chose to lie down daily and sell her body because she was without hope. Rahab did not know her true beauty, her worth, or her dignity as a child of God. But deep within, she knew she was created for something more. And that is exactly why Kingdom Builders exist. There are so many women struggling without hope, very similar to Rahab. They're searching for the Father's love, the living bread. We want every woman to know the hope for which they were created. Rahab found her hope and becomes one of the mothers of salvation history. No matter where our sisters are at or what they have done, they were created for the future of hope. God desires to claim them as his daughters. He wants to graft them into his family. Don't be afraid to invite your sisters to Jesus in the Eucharist. Allow yourself to become the love that you have received. Encourage women to attend the Kingdom Builder gatherings and the conference. Give them the living bread for which they hunger. And if you feel slightly uncomfortable or if you're fearing rejection, remember our brothers and sisters in China laying down without hope. Jesus is inviting us to live out the hope of his call. If you're not driving, go ahead and just close your eyes and just receive this. Whatever you're doing, dishes, laundry, just pause. So only take a second and just receive this. Jesus, some of us have been in a season of disappointment. Some of us may even have abandoned hope or do not even remember what it feels like. So we come to you today. We ask you to restore our vision, to restore the beauty of this virtue. We ask for every grace to pour into us from every Holy Communion that we have ever received. We desire to walk in those graces and into the hope-filled future you have planned for us. We declare, as Rahab did for herself and her family, that we are no longer outsiders or outcasts. No matter what we have done or how far away we have traveled, we take our place right now as a beloved child of the King. We also claim our place as being part of your family of builders growing across the country. We are your sons and daughters, your heirs. We are brothers and sisters. We are your family. Jesus, heal us spiritually, emotionally, physically. Jesus, give us the courage to live out the hope of your call. 
If you would like more information about Kingdom Builders or would like to know how to bring this apostolate to your parish, please go to our website at buildingthroughhim.com and click Build With Us.